Our scripture reading is from the 15th chapter of John and into the 16th, John 15. I will read uh, selected verses in the interest of time. Would you please stand for the reading of scripture? John 15, beginning with verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now if you'll skip ahead to chapter 16 and verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. We pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us and open our eyes that we might see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Open our ears that the sheep might hear the voice of the good shepherd and follow him and open our hearts that we might offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely. So speak to us and bless us, we pray, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Be seated, please. I want to preach to you, try to preach to you on the subject of union with Christ. Calvin said that as long as Jesus Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race is useless and of no value to us. You see, we must be joined to Jesus. We must be in him. He must be in us or else this does not mean anything. And while he is the savior of the world, if he is not in us, he is not our savior. There must be a union between Jesus Christ and 
his people. Paul, you know, his favorite expression is in Christ. There is no condemnation in Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. To be saved is to be in Christ, in union with Him. Our larger catechism, question 66, says that our union with Christ is spiritual, mystical, real, and inseparable. A word that jumps out of that is mystical. In other words, our being joined to Jesus Christ is mysterious. At least there is a mysterious element to it. And in the passage before us, Jesus uses a simple illustration to explain the mystery of being united to him in plain terms. So now let's look at it. First in this passage, you see the true vine. Look at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Now Jesus, in calling himself the vine, is drawing on the imagery of the Old Testament, as we'll see in verse 5. And as you know, the rest of the analogy is that if he is the vine, we're the branches connected into the vine. But first, let's think about the vine. Now turn to the middle of your Bibles to Psalm 80. Psalm 80, and, and let's see where he's getting this. Look at, at verse 8, Psalm 80 and verse 8. It says... You, that's the Lord, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. Now you see this vine here in in Psalm 80 that's referring to the nation of Israel. The vine that the Lord took out of Egypt in the Exodus and, and transplanted it into the promised land. Branches extended from this vine, but then the Lord brought judgment against the vine. And here they're praying in Psalm 80 for revival and and restoration, but but notice in Psalm 80 and verse 15, you see he's praying for the Lord to have regard for the vine, and you see verse 15, the middle, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. The vine is equated with the son. Israel was the son of God. 
You remember the Lord told Pharaoh, stop killing my son or I will kill your son. Israel was the son of God and the vine. But Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. John has already told us the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And John has told us that the real temple is Jesus, in whom the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Just as Jesus is a true and greater temple who is the fulfillment of all the temple in Jerusalem stood for. So Jesus is the Son of God and the true vine. And he is the fulfillment of all that the nation of Israel in the Old Testament stood for, or at least should have stood for. You see... Jesus is telling his disciples, his Jewish disciples, that the important thing is not being in Israel. What matters is being in him, in Christ. You know, many, not all, I'm sure, but many in Jesus' day believed that, that all that mattered was being a Jew. Your heart, your inner life, Even your character, it didn't matter at all as long as you were a Jew and if a man, as long as you were circumcised, you were fine. And Jesus says, no. All that really matters is that you are in me. You see the true vine. Secondly, in this passage, you see life in the true vine. Look at verse 1 again. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. We see three parties in this relationship in this union established. First, you see the vine, then you see the vine dresser, and then in verse 5, you see the branches. He mentions the branches in verse uh, 2, but he defines the branches in verse 5. Of course, they are Jesus the vine, the Father, the vine dresser, and We are the branches. Now before he tells us anything else, even before he tells us that we are the branches, Jesus tells us about the Father's work as the vine dresser. You see in verse 2, he says, Every branch that does not bear fruit, the Father, the vine dresser, cuts away. We'll get to that part later. But he also says that every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. That's talking about true, healthy, fruit-bearing branches in the vine. Now that tells us right off that to be in relationship with Jesus is to be in relationship with the Father. You come into Christ and you are dealing with the Father 
You come into the vine and you are dealing with the vine dresser and he is dealing with you. No man cometh to the Father but by me, but through me you are immediately with the Father. The Father is not distant. To be in Christ is immediately to be a child of the Father. But notice further, Jesus is telling us there is a painful dimension to life in the true vine. He says the Father prunes the good branches, the branches that do bear fruit. I like the way my granddaddy, who was born in the Brushy Mountains of North Carolina in 1906, referred to surgery. I say it myself to this day. He, he didn't say, I'm going to have surgery next week. He said, they're going to cut on me next week. And Jesus is saying, when you come into me, the Father's going to start cutting on you. It's going to hurt. But he's not doing it to harm you. He's doing it to heal you. To increase your fruitfulness. Those of us that rode down to Lee County a couple weeks ago to see Pearl Friars, Topiaries, we witnessed the beautiful things that can come from faithful pruning. They're dead, useless, sinful areas in our lives that need to be locked off, bad habits that need to be broken and in union with Christ, the true vine, the Father begins, begins to prune away at our lives. Bishop Ryle, J.C. Ryle, wrote a wonderful book called Holiness, and, and there's a chapter in there called Growth. It's about growing as a Christian, maturity, and and he concludes that chapter by saying that there are some Christians, and he says they're the best sort of Christians, whose very growth makes them feel like they're not growing. The more they grow, the more the Father deals with their sin, sin they didn't even know they had. The more they grow, the more humbled they are by their own imperfection. And so in a paradoxical way, as Christians get better, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he, he said basically that as Christians get better, they actually feel worse. Worse about themselves because they're dealing with sin. And Jesus is telling us right up front here, if you come into me, you are going to get cut. Sin will be exposed and cut away. But now when I first looked at this for the preparation of this message, my first thought was, what on earth is verse 3 doing here? Look at it again. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. What does that have to do with anything? It seems to be mixing the matter for you. You don't clean a branch, you prune it. You remember he's referring to when he washed their feet in chapter 13. And you remember when he washed their feet, he said they were clean. 
And that was a picture of his blood washing them from their sins in his own blood. And Jesus here in verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Jesus puts that in there to assure us that our salvation is not based on the pruning we receive and the fruitfulness that comes from it. We don't get into the vine based on how fruitful we are. That doesn't work. It's not that if we grow enough, we'll be saved. No, we grow because we have already been saved. We bear fruit because we are already in the vine. Our forgiveness, our righteousness is based on the finished work on the blood of Jesus Christ and His declaration that we are already clean. It is not based on how far we make it in growing in the Christian life and how much fruit we bear, but that is life in the true vine. Life of pruning and fruitful. So you see the true vine, you see life in the vine. Thirdly, in this passage, you see abiding in Jesus. Look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me you can do nothing. We have to abide in Jesus or, or remain in Jesus. Otherwise, we can do nothing. We have no life if we do not remain in Him. Bishop Ryle again says that the union between the branch of a vine and the main stem is the closest that can be conceived. It is the whole secret of the branch's life Strength, vigor, beauty, and fertility separate from the parent stem. It has no life of its own. The sap and juice that flow from the stem are the origin and maining power of all its leaves, buds, blossom, and fruit cut off from the stem. It must soon wither and die. So how to abide in Christ? Well, obviously, keep on believing in him. But here we see some clues to abiding in Christ. The first clue is found in verse 7. Look at it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You see, he says, abide in me and my words abide in you. A key to abiding in Christ is his word abiding in us. Stay in the word. In plain English, read the Bible. 
Study the Bible. Stay under the teaching and preaching of the Word. Meditate on it. Treasure it up in your heart. And then there's another clue in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in Jesus' love. And you notice he draws a connection between the Father's love for him and then his love for us. How did Jesus, the man Jesus, incarnate on this earth, how did he remain in the Father's love? Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in In his love, he obeyed the Father. In love, Jesus obeyed the Father and remained in his love. And that's how we remain in Jesus' love, obedience. He's not telling us we have to obey him as perfectly as he obeyed the Father. If that were the case, there'd be nothing for the Father to prune away, would it? But his loving obedience is the standard. And then look at the promise in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There's joy in true obedience. Yes, there's pruning, cutting, but it leads to joy. And you see, there is a warning to those who do not abide in Christ. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Now Jesus here is not saying that a true living branch, healthy in Christ, can stop being a living, healthy branch and be cast away. He's saying a true branch in the true vine stays in the vine. The one who does not abide is not a true branch. There's an old hymn that says, All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. There's only one thing required of you to be a Christian. You must feel your need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. And the person who does not abide in Jesus does not feel his need of Jesus. He does not really believe that apart from him we can do nothing. He does not feel that he has any problem areas in his life that need pruning. This is the mark of a true believer, not so much that he achieves some level of fruitfulness, although he does. But the mark of the true believer is that he feels his need of drawing life and health and peace and joy from a source outside of himself. He feels his need of Jesus. 
So you see the true vine, you see life in the vine, you see abiding in Jesus. Fourthly, in this passage, you see the friends of Jesus. The friends of Jesus. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one in this, that someone lay down his life for my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Now as part of this dynamic relationship of being joined to Jesus, Jesus calls our friends. Now Dr. Carson points out that in several places in Scripture, God or Jesus calls people his friends. In Scripture says Abraham was called the friend of God. But nowhere in Scripture do people call Jesus or God their friend. Now, he is our friend. It is perfectly legitimate for us to sing what a friend we have in Jesus. He's our friend. But here's the point. If you're friends with some great important person, if they call you their friend, it's a great honor. But if you go around saying that that important, famous person, such and such, oh, he's a good friend of mine, that just sounds like name dropping. And that's sort of the idea here. We get too casual with the idea of Jesus being our friend, I think. We need to be overwhelmed with the fact that the Son of God wants us to be his friends. We should never cease to be overwhelmed by that reality. And, and look what he's done for his friends. Verse 13 again. Greater love is no one than this is someone laid down his life for his friends. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. He's laid down his life for his friends. The greatest love. And so he tells us that as we abide in his love for us, we will love one another. We will lay down our lives for each other. I need to touch briefly on the fact that here and also in verse 7, Jesus promises answered prayers. First he talks about his word abiding in us uh, and then here he uh, talks about uh, in verse uh, 16 us being his friends and getting answered prayer. As we get closer to him and become closer friends with him and get deeper into his word as the Father works in and on us, pruning us, our desires align more closely with His. We want what He wants, and prayers get answered. But i got to move on. You see the true vine, life in the vine, abiding in Jesus, the friends of Jesus. And finally in this passage, you see, for better or worse. For better or worse. Look at verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. This last 
bit of the passage, Jesus says that the world hated him, and the world will hate his followers. The world persecuted him, and the world will persecute his disciples. In union with Christ, we become like him. And the world hated him and will hate you if you become like him. I once heard Dr. Derek Thomas in Columbia say one of the most profound things I think I ever heard. He was talking about why the Apostle Paul spent so much time talking about union with Christ. If you read the epistles of Paul, you see he says in Christ over and over again in every chapter of his letters. Dr. Thomas said that union with Christ was the first thing Paul ever learned when he met Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. You remember Saul as he was then had consented to the stoning of Stephen and was headed up the road to persecute more Christians and on the way he met Jesus and what was the first thing Jesus said to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? No. Saul, why are you persecuting me. And the first thing Paul realized when he met Jesus Christ for the first time was that when he had persecuted Stephen, he had persecuted Jesus himself. And every Christian he persecuted, he persecuted Jesus himself. Because Jesus is one with his people. He is the vine. We are the branches. And Jesus said if they persecuted him, they'll persecute us. Why does he tell us that? Not so we'll go looking for persecution. We don't need some kind of martyr complex. We don't need Christians who who want to be made a martyr and go and be obnoxious as they can to try to draw persecution. This is why it tells us that. Look at chapter 16 and verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they've not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. He's telling us this to keep us from falling away. That's what he says in 16 and verse 1. I had the honor to officiate my first clover wedding last night. New place, but I use the same words I've always used. You know, we use some of the most negative words at weddings, don't we? The happiest occasions, and we use these negative words, words like sickness, sorrow, want, poverty. 
and to sum it all up for worse. Why? Because for worse is part of life. It's coming. And to be united with Jesus is a marriage. And Jesus tells us here that it is a marriage for better or worse. And the for worse is real. It's coming. We may even be tempted to break our vows and get out of the marriage. We take that marriage vow for better or for worse so that on the day when for worse comes and it will come, we have something to fall back on. On that day, remember you vowed for better or worse. That means ending the relationship is not an option. And Jesus says that on the day when the world comes against us, we may be tempted to end the marriage and deny our Savior. But Jesus says on that day, remember me. Remember on that day that greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Remember, I laid down my life for you. You remember the old martyr of 86 years old from the church in Smyrna? who was dragged into the Roman Colosseum and ordered to deny Jesus Christ and declare that Caesar was God. And the old saint and old man now said these words in the Roman Colosseum, Eighty and six years have I served Christ and he never did me any harm. How then shall I blaspheme him who is my Savior? He lived in union with Christ, and that day he died in Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.